0: Well, hello, Heritage. Wanna welcome all of you across our network, but especially wanna welcome our campuses at Bendorf, Kewaunee Correctional Center, those tuning in online as we join you here from Rock Island. We are one church in multiple locations, and so we're uniquely positioned to help people connect to God, to each other, and to their purpose. And I wanna take a moment to celebrate one of the ways that he's doing that recently. You see, every week, we light crosses in our worship spaces when we know of somebody who's made a first-time decision for Jesus. And this past week, we know of at least four people who made first-time decisions for him through the ministries of Heritage Church. Love it, it's why we do what we do. But I wanna tell you something. One of those came through a small group dynamic. One came here at Rock Island Campus. Another came through the jail ministry. And listen, the fourth one came through our online expression, online. Which makes a total of a minimum of five first-time decisions for Jesus through our online expression this church year. I, it's, I love it. God is working in and through every part of our of our Heritage family, and we get to be front row participants of what He's doing. In fact, one of the other things He's doing is He's working in our parables series. We've been having this conversation around the parables of Jesus, and and those are these simple stories with with deep spiritual truth and and those stories, man, they, they challenge the way we think uh, and what we do. Jesus used this method significantly in his teaching and, and, and the things that Jesus taught kind of always challenge what we think and, and how we act, which is kind of good. It's important because quite honestly, humans don't always think through what they're doing, do they? <laughs> I mean, we don't always think through our, our choices and decisions and what the ripple might be because of that. Just recently, I was at the end of a, it was at, after a worship gathering and we were getting ready to wrap up and, and I saw Beth and we had driven two cars to church and, and, and she looked at me and she said, I'm heading out, you good, you got everything? And I'm like, yeah, I'm good, go ahead. And she took off and about 10 or 15 minutes later, when I walked out to the parking lot to get into my car, guess what I didn't have? I didn't have my keys, I didn't have my wallet, I didn't have anything. It was all in the back seat of the other car. And sometimes we don't think through what we're doing. We don't plan ahead enough. But I, I know I'm not the only one who does that. Let me show you some other examples of some people who didn't think through what they were doing. Like the person that installed this ATM. <laughs> they did not think this through. That poor guy can't even see what he's putting in as a pin. Can't, can't see that at all, didn't think it through. Here, here's another example of what I'm talking about. There's a security camera positioned right behind a TV monitor. There's no, I can't see anything. When we don't think things through, we can actually complicate life. Here's another example of what I'm talking about. This is not made up, people. That many toilets and urinals that close together doesn't work. When we don't think things through, we complicate Life. Can't make that up, man. This is like real life stuff. You can't make that stuff up. Let me give you another example. This is a sign that just says no fishing between arrows. (laughs) Right? Really? Okay, we'll comply with that, but you should have thought that sign through a little bit. Okay, one one more while they get to just thinking a little bit. This is a trampoline located right next to a wrought iron fence with arrows pointed tips at the top. (laughs) If we don't think things through, we don't plan ahead, we complicate life. And the reality is you just look at this last picture here is that we need to think. We need to do it right the first time and and, and plan ahead. (laughs) Because if we don't plan ahead, we complicate life. And and, and quite honestly, the parable we're looking at today has a a handful of folks who didn't think ahead. They didn't plan ahead far enough. They didn't think through the implications or what they're doing and it had significant complications. So I'd love for you to grab your Bible if you got it and click or turn to Luke chapter 20 because we're gonna get into this right now. Luke chapter 20, is the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And we're looking at an interaction that, um, well, it's one big chunk of interaction that centers around a parable. And it's a parable you can find in, in Matthew 21. You can find it in Mark 12, but we're looking at it in Luke 20. And and this parable is prompted by a question. And it wasn't a friendly question. It was kind of a confrontational question because there were a group of individuals who felt threatened or challenged by what Jesus was doing and how he was teaching and what he was teaching. In fact, it might be helpful to understand where we're picking up this storyline is right after Jesus has entered into Jerusalem. So there's been the the triumphal entry moment. Uh, He's wept over Jerusalem and he's cleared the temple and now he's teaching the people. But a a group of religious leaders come up to him and they confront him because they want to know know by what authority he's doing these things, and, but Jesus knows what's in their heart, so he answers their question with a question. He asks them a question about John the Baptist, and, and they realize it's a really good question. In fact, they realize if they answer the question honestly, they're going to look like fools. So they decide to lie and feign ignorance, like, oh, we don't really know, but they did know. They knew, they knew the answer to the question. They knew John the Baptist had declared Jesus to be the Messiah, yet they weren't willing to accept it. So when they say, oh, we don't know, then Jesus says, well, then if you're, you're not going to answer, I'm not going to answer. And then he turns to the people and he tells this parable. It's the parable of the tenants. And it starts in verse nine, and that's where I want to pick this up in Luke chapter 20. So let's track along with me. He said, a man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant, which is more like..." literally a slave to the tenants. So they would give some of the fruit. How much fruit? Some, just some, a portion of the fruit, fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty handed. So listen, you gotta understand something here. The, the, this idea of tenant farming was common in Jesus' day. It's even common today. And the way it works, when somebody's tending as a tenant the land, they receive a portion of the crop and fruit and the owner receives a portion of the crop or fruit. That's how, that's how it plays out. It's very common. But in this scenario, these tenants didn't wanna share. And not only did they want, didn't wanna share the fruit, they didn't wanna share due honor. They didn't wanna honor the owner or the lease. In fact, this word where they say beat is literally thrash or smite. Flay skin is how severe this is. So this was, this was not just a no, go away. This was a significant rejection and rebellion moment. But... The owner is not deterred, and so what he ends up doing to keep reading, he sends another servant. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully, and sent away empty-handed. So now, second time around, they beat again, they thrash, they smite, but then they shame, they 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 accuse, they 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 treat him in a way that he's wounded in a way, way that he's shamed in that moment with contempt by what they've treated him with. Now again, for the, the owner's not yet. Honked, so he sends another servant. He sent us still a third and they wounded him and threw him out. Now the word wounded is traumatizo, which is where we get the word traumatized. And so what we see is an escalation. Three different servants, three different responses, this escalating reality. And I can imagine at this point, the owner's thinking, what in the world is going on? A bit perplexed by it, but certainly not satisfied. It hasn't even gotten the fruit he originally should have been given. So he's yet not deterred though. And it says, then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? He's not yet moved to punishment and to justice. He still wants what's right. And so what shall I do? And he says, I will send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. Now, it's not unreasonable to think that. That the son would represent the owner differently. The son would come with a bit more authority. It's not the same as sending a servant. The, the son could actually negotiate or facilitate something different. So it's actually reasonable that he would think, okay, this would be different if I send my son. But the problem was greed and selfishness clouded the thinking of these men, the tenants. And, and their hearts were hardened. And we saw last week what happens when our hearts are hardened. Their thinking was clouded. So when he actually sends the son, here's what happens. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. So they see the son, they know who he is, they talk the matter over, they deliberate. They make a plan, but they don't plan ahead. They get a plan, but they don't plan ahead. They say, this is the heir, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. It's crazy. But that's the plan. They're not thinking ahead, they're not thinking it through. So they threw him out of the vineyard, and that's with with violence in the original language, and killed him. Now, at that point, the parable ends. It's almost it's just it's hanging out there, just dangling out there. It's, it's bad. It's like the big bad wolf ate up all the little piggies. It, it just, it's tragic. It's just like this crashes into nothing. But then Jesus goes on to say this He says, What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? And scripture doesn't put a pause here, but as a communicator, as as looking at studying scripture in other places, I feel like there was a pause where the people had to process what he was asking. And then he goes on to say this, he will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now, now this is appalling. It's appalling because the word for killed here, when they killed the son, literally means put to death. But the word used here for kill those tenants means to destroy. It it means, it's it's almost a metaphor for eternal punishment. It's like annihilate. It's not the same. It's it's more significant. And the people understood the difference because they weren't doing this in English. They were doing it in the original language and they understood the difference between the two. And there was a greater response than what was done to the son. And here's what the people say next. Here's what they do. They say, when the people heard this, they said, God forbid He said, don't let this happen. May this never happen. And in this this moment, there is this churn around the reality of what he's talking about, this this rough response to this mistreatment. And the people are like, no, no, we don't want that to happen. No, 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 no." don't. And then Jesus turns and he says, look, he looks directly at them and asks, then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. See, there's this moment right here at this particular place. Well, it's more layered than we see on the surface. Because Jesus is actually quoting Psalm 118, which is often called the Hosanna Psalm. And it directly relates back to what just happened prior to this moment. When Jesus entered into Jerusalem, what happened? It was a triumphal entry, right? And it was that whole Hosanna moment. So what's happening in, in this moment here, Jesus isn't just quoting a section of scripture randomly or something that connects to the concept, he's connecting back to the answer to the original question that the religious leaders confronted him with. Because in that moment in the triumphal entry, he's declared publicly to be Messiah. And in that moment he's received, but in this moment he's being rejected in the confrontation by the religious leaders. It's a very nuanced dynamic So he goes on to make another statement right after that because he's not done teaching them. And here's what he says, verse 18. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Okay, so let's unpack this for a moment. In this parable, the owner, the man represents God, which then means the son represents who? Come on now, who represents who? Jesus. Jesus represents Jesus. The servants who are sent, all three servants, represent the prophets of old, the, the messengers of God, the people God sends into places to represent him. And the tenants, well, it represents the religious leaders that were confronting him, but it also represents in a way all of humanity, the rest of humanity, because we're all tenants, we're all caretakers in that dynamic. And what ends up happening in this moment is that those tenants in the story, they rebelled and they refused to submit. Fundamentally, they didn't honor the agreement. They didn't honor the least. There, There was a resistance that incrementally increased. It escalated. Their rebellion got worse, and rebellion always gets worse. Always. In our lives, it always gets worse. When we do something wrong, something we shouldn't do, we are more readily positioned and apt to step into doing something wrong again, to either cover it up or to not get in trouble. That rebellion leads to greater rebellion. That was happening in this particular dynamic. We do one thing wrong, we're more likely to do something worse to cover it up because we don't think it through. We don't plan ahead and we don't think it through. We make short-sighted decisions and then we get ourselves in trouble and we complicate life. It reminds me of the story of the photographer who was working for a national magazine. He was assigned to cover a forest fire. But it was so big and so large, he couldn't get into a good spot to take a picture because of the smoke. So he called his editor and said, Hey, I need a plane. If you get me a plane, I'll get up in the air, I'll get a better shot. So his editor said, I'll get you a plane. I'll have it ready at the local airport. You get there, you get up, you get a good picture. So he got a ride to the airport. As soon as he pulled in, he saw it was a plane warming up on the runway. So he grabbed his gear, ran to the plane, hopped in, said, Let's go, let's go. And that pilot swung that plane around. They head down the runway, and in a matter of moments, they're up in the air. Once they're in the air, he leaned over to the pilot and said, hey, what I need you to do is go to the north side of the fire, and I want you to make three or four low-level passes along the north side. The pilot looked at him and said, why? The photographer was a little upset, a little irritated. He said, because I'm a photographer, I, I take pictures, and I need to get to that side to take the right pictures. And After a really long pause, the pilot turned back and said, so does that mean you're not the instructor? When we don't think things through, we make short-sighted decisions, and then we get ourselves in trouble. (laughs) And that's exactly what the tenants did in this dynamic. They didn't think it through. They made short-sighted decisions based on the immediate things in front of them, based on what they wanted in the moment. They forfeited what they really wanted now, and that's a great reminder to something we talked about before. We never want to forfeit what we want most for what we want now. Never forfeit what you want most for what you want now. It's never a fair trade. It's always a messed up trade. It never works. And these tenants actually did that. It wasn't a good exchange. They didn't respect the servants. They didn't respect the son. They ultimately disrespect the owner. And that has consequences. Ironically yet, though, if they had just done what they were supposed to do, if they had just been faithful and served and waited, if they hadn't embraced greed, there would have been greater blessing. It would have come. In obeying and serving and giving and providing what's due and returning to God what's His, there is blessing. But when we start to focus on what we can get rather than what we can give, well, now we start to make those short sighted decisions and we don't think it through. And they didn't. They made decisions based on the immediate, the short term. But if they'd waited, man, they could have had it all. But what I want to do is go back to verse 18 because verse 18 has huge implications. Huge. Jesus says, everyone who falls on that stone, the stone that was rejected, will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Now, this this thing is layered with good stuff. There's two different scenarios. One is to fall on, one is to be fell upon. And anyone who falls on Jesus, anyone who comes to Jesus will be broken of pride and broken of self-will in his love and his grace. But those who refuse to fall on him will be fell upon and crushed by judgment, by his truth. So listen, when we fall on Jesus, we're broken. When we fall on him, we're broken. We're, our rough edges are chipped away. The barnacles of our life get scraped off. Those marks from those decisions we, we, we wish we would have never made, they, gets, they get wiped away. And all of those realities are pretty good reasons to think it through, to think it through what we're doing before we actually do it. Because when Jesus says falls, he's, he's, he's literally talking about descending from a high place to a low place. It's a, it's, a, it's a direct expression of giving up authority. It's an expression of releasing power in dying to self. Literally, he's saying fall prostrate out flat before him. And that's how everyone should respond to Jesus, to lay out flat before him. We, we literally should, should fall down before him and lay out before him and let him shatter the broken, complicated lives we live. The stuff we've done and the stuff that's been done to us. When we fall on him, he shatters and scatters that stuff. He breaks that stuff down and begins to make us whole. when we refuse to fall on him, then we are fell upon and we're crushed. Literally, the scripture is speaking of grinding into powder. That's a literal translation to be ground into powder. Because when we don't think things through, we don't plan ahead, we make short-sighted decisions and then we create trouble in our lives. So let me transition to what's the point of this? Like, what, what's the point of talking about this? How, how do we apply it and move forward a bit? But let me just go a little deeper in this subject because in, verse, in chapter 19, Jesus talked about stewards or servants taking care of property. But in, in, in chapter 20, he's talking about servants or stewards taking care of the son. Taking care of the son. And, and quite honestly, quite frankly, what we do with the son matters. What we do with Jesus matters. What we do with Jesus matters. And I'm not talking about do with as in an activity, as if, as if we're gonna go somewhere or alongside, but I'm talking about what we do with his authority, what we do with his re- requests, what we do with his presence, what we do with his purpose, his, his portion, <laughs> What we do with his identity, what we do with his sacrifice, what we do with Jesus matters. What we do with the son matters. And the tenants didn't follow through on the deal. They didn't share the proper portion. Even though it was just some, they still were greedy about it. They didn't give, they didn't trust, they didn't believe, they didn't honor, nor did they think it through because all they had to do was welcome the son at this point. They had done horrible things with three servants, but all they had to do was welcome the son. Show the son around the vineyard, let him taste the fruit, let him give input to what's going on in the vineyard, give him the portion, send him on his way to give a good report. There was enough grace and love in that space that the owner would have been able to work through that. But their greed clouded their thinking. They wanted more from than for and that led them to short sighted decisions. But in the end, they chose poorly, they chose poorly. And this is not not an issue of identity. They knew who he was. They knew he was the son. This was an issue of authority. This is an issue of responding to authority that changes the dynamic a bit because what we do with Jesus actually matters. This, this whole conversation that Jesus is having with the people in this moment represents a shift for the Jews and for us. And Hebrews captures this for us. Let's check this out for a moment. It says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at, prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through him also, he made the universe. There is a shift where the, where the father is working through the son. And this challenge, the, the problem that was in this moment wasn't his identity, it was about response to his authority. And like the tenants, most of us know who Jesus is. The problem comes in how we respond to his authority. And we need to think it through. Because what we do with Jesus matters. But let's really think through this because there's only two options in this reality of what we do with Jesus. When it comes to our relationship with God, the truth is that there is a gap between us and him. And that gap can only be filled by Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it is through Jesus that the gap is filled. So when it comes to to Jesus, what we do with him matters, and there's really only two options, only two. We can receive him Or we can reject him. That's it. Receive or reject. There's no other reality. There's no other scenario in this. It's receive or reject. Now the question becomes, okay, how do we know what the difference is? How how do we know what we're doing? What's the difference between this? Well, honestly, it comes down to this reality or the words that we often use, which is this idea of believe in. In. This idea of believe in Jesus. We use this terminology, and in the English language, it's a little convoluted because we use believe or belief broadly. <laughs> we, we say, I believe in the existence of something, or I believe that's true, or we believe in somebody, and, and it's, it's significant and insignificant, which gets a little more complicated for us in understanding, are we rejecting or receiving? But if we believe in, in the sense that we know that they exist... We, we, we know and understand that, that Jesus is the son of God, but we don't give him authority. Well, now what we're actually doing is we're believing about him. It's knowledge, it's awareness, but it has, doesn't have that submission to his authority. And that puts us in a trajectory of rejection. It puts us in the rejection side of the camp. That's believing in as we believe about to just know. But when we believe in, in the sense of believing on, that's totally different. This is an expression of trust. This is where we yield. This is where we give him authority, all authority. This is is what falling on him looks like is, is what leads us to that receiving reality, receiving him as an honored guest, receiving him as the heir. And when we believe in Jesus as in fall on Jesus, well, now we receive him. And we receive his purpose and we receive his plan. We receive his instruction. We receive his sacrifice. We receive in whole And the reality is, we either receive in whole or not at all. There's no mix and matching between these two. We can take one part and reject one part and we actually reject the whole. It's like like we don't mostly obey or sort of follow someone or kinda honor. (laughs) You either do or you don't. And you either receive or you reject because Believing in Jesus is not just about who he is, but about embracing all that he is. And too often, I think we get an equation where we start, we start to live in this idea of believing in as in about, and we find ourselves leaning into rejection as opposed to believing in on the sense of on, as we fall on him, and that's how we receive. We either receive or we reject. What we do with Jesus matters. In fact, not only what we do with Jesus matters, that's not only true, there's another reality that what we do with Jesus determines what God does with us. How we handle the Son determines how the Father handles us. It's a a reality we have to understand. You can go back with me for just a moment, because what that means is then if we ultimately receive the Son, then the Father will receive us. But if we reject the Son, then the Father rejects us. What we do with the Son ultimately determines what the Father does with us. What we do with Jesus ultimately determines what God does with us. And we either receive or we reject. John wrote about this in John chapter three. He said, the father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes, and that believes is that top level of the easel. It's that on part, falling on, believes in the son, has eternal life. But whoever rejects, that's the bottom part of the easel, that person just knows about, who doesn't give authority, who rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. See, rejection doesn't inherently mean kick him out of the vineyard and kill him. Rejection means rejecting his authority. Not giving him what he's due. It can be as bad as the kick out and kill, but most often, most of us, we don't overtly reject his authority by throwing him out of the vineyard and killing him. We do it in other ways when we choose to disobey. See, this is, again, this is not an issue of identity, this is an issue of authority. And every time we choose to sin, we reject his authority. Whenever we choose disobedience, we reject his authority. Whenever we withhold what is due, we reject his authority. Whenever we take a posture of, of resisting, we reject his authority. Whenever we take a posture of demanding to be convinced or persuaded, we take a posture of rejection. The, the, when we say, hey, God, look, I, I, I will do that, but show me this first. God, I will obey you, but show me this first. God, I will follow you, but if you just do this first, then I'll, then I'll follow you. Fill in the blank. Whenever we start to try to mix and match that space of actually embracing all that he is or not, we create a complication in our relationship because believing in who Jesus is, that, that's not receiving him. Embracing all that he is, that's receiving him. And we can try to get that hodgepodge where we say, look, you, gotta, you know, I'm gonna let you into the vineyard of my life. I'll let you walk around my life. In fact, I'll give you Sundays and I'm gonna give you Christmas and Easter. Good job, I got it. You got those are yours but I'm gonna keep the rest and I'll ask you when I need stuff, but I'm ultimately not gonna give you what you're asking for. Not even if it's some fruit. And we do that, we take a posture of rejection because believing in Jesus is not simply acknowledging who he is, but it's about embracing all that he is. Let me take this just one step deeper for a moment. If you're still tracking your fill-ins, receiving is always believing. Hang with me as I unpack this with you. Receiving is always believing. So receiving always, always includes believing, but believing is not always receiving. Believing does not always mean receiving. It, it, hang with me for a moment. I just talked about this. When we receive him, it inherently includes this belief. So when we receive, we fall on, we give him authority, we put our trust in him. Then we, So receiving includes believing, but we can believe and not receive. When we believe in, in the sense of about, I know he's the son. I know that's what he wants, but I'm not going to give it to him. In that scenario, we're not receiving, therefore we're rejecting. Now you got to hear me really carefully and closely. We are saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. There is always an expression of that faith. There's always a surrender. There's always a falling on. There's always giving him what is due, and we're not saved by works. We're saved by faith alone, but that saving faith is never alone. And the reality is in this particular paradigm, if we are receiving, if we, we receive and hold, it includes believing, but we can believe in something as in about and end up not falling on, but end up being under. And here we're broken and here we're crushed. There's a difference and what we do with Jesus matters and what we do with Jesus determines what the Father does with us. That's the reality that Jesus is speaking to in this parable. You may, to, you may want to squirm around on this for a second, but let me tell you, the brother of Jesus laid this out very clearly. Here's what he said in James. He said, we believe that there is one God. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. They believe in as in about. Yeah, he's the son. Yep, got that. But give him no authority. So that belief in and about isn't, what, isn't the target. <laughs> what God is asking for us is belief in as we fall on. And falling on is where we're broken. And falling on is where he takes the stuff we've messed up and the stuff that people have done to us and he makes new and he heals and he restores. And the tenants, man, they believed he was the son. That was the basis of their whole plan, the basis of their whole plan, but they didn't receive. And we need to be careful not to stop short in belief, but to actually move to falling on, to fall on him by giving him authority. Giving him the honor he's due, giving him the fruit, the some fruit that he is due, that that is rightfully his. The the tenants rejected his authority. The religious leaders challenged the authority of Jesus. And And what we do with Jesus matters. So what are you doing with him? Are you today more like those questioning his authority, like the religious leaders, like, you know, prove it, show me, why, how come? Are you like those religious leaders saying, yeah, prove it? Or, or are you like the people who are just listening, going, Oh man, that sounds bad. I hope that doesn't happen. Oh no, no, no. Or or, or maybe, maybe you're like the uh, you're you're a servant who's actually faithful. And you're taking care of the vineyard that he's given you, but now he's asking you to go represent him in other places. And in those other places, you find pain. And in those other places, you experience rejection. And in those other places, you experience suffering. Do not compromise. Do not quit falling on him. He sent you because he trusts you, because you've placed trust in him. How you've handled the son has allowed the father to position you to represent him. Don't give up in that. Don't take on that wound and not forgive. Don't, don't, Don't fail to release and don't balk against absorbing the pain that God asks you to absorb on his behalf. What we do with Jesus matters. So think ahead, think it through. Let me get really practical with this. Before you click that website link, think it through. Before you tell that lie, think it through. Before you give in to greed, think it through. Before you engage that unhealthy relationship or that unhealthy habit, think it through. Before you forfeit what you want most for what you want now, think it through. The tenants, they didn't buy the land. They didn't build the land. The vineyard, they, they were just allowed to, to sit in a space and work it because of the graciousness of an owner that they ultimately rejected, but they would ultimately bring account be held accountable for it. But here's what this parable reminds us of. Our God, the owner of it all, he's patient with rebels and I'm grateful. He's patient with rebels, but there will be a day of reckoning for all of us and accounting for what we have done with the son. In our scenario, it's actually a bit different than the parable in the sense that our journey doesn't end with the death of the (laughs) son. Jesus died, but he rose. His death paid a price we couldn't pay. He paid a debt that we were incapable of overcoming. And the reality is that through him, when you fall on him, you receive him, you can experience life and freedom and healing. Because the son gives life and the son gives forgiveness and the son gives relationship with God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except by me. When we fall on him, when we receive him, And one day we will stand before God. We will stand before God and he will not ask how much money you made. He won't ask how nice of a car you had or how nice of a house you had. He won't even ask how well you did in your job. He will only have one question, just one. And it'll be, what did you do with my son? What did you do with my son? You may not overtly throw him out of a vineyard But every time you choose to sin, you reject his authority. Our our choice to sin, our rebellion, put him on the cross. But it didn't end with death. Next week, we're stepping into our journey to Easter, and the reality that that cross led to a resurrection. And that resurrection changes everything, it allows us to fall on Jesus and to be broken, not crushed. The disciple John articulated it this way. He said, he, Jesus was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not, what? Receive him, didn't receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is wonderful and it's possible. It doesn't matter how far you've run, doesn't matter how long you have rejected, the Father extends grace through the Son. And we each have an opportunity to receive Him in fact, in a few moments, we're actually gonna take part in communion or what we call the Lord's Supper. And this is, a, this is a specific thing that came out of the night that Jesus was betrayed where Jesus took the bread and the cup and, and it had some cool imagery around it and that blood and body are symbols. But listen to me, this is, a, this is an appropriate opportunity to serve as a direct expression of receiving the son. It's a moment to, to celebrate faithfulness or to recalibrate unfaithfulness. It's a moment to, to step into that falling on rather than ending up being under. And if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you have an opportunity to step into this moment to, to recalibrate maybe some stuff that's messed up or just to celebrate the life you have in him. But communion's for those who know Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you don't know him as Lord and Savior, it's not set up for you. But I wanna tell you something. If you have not given your life to Jesus, if you haven't fallen on Jesus and received him as Lord and now have a relationship with God, you can do that today. It, all it takes is a moment and that moment then starts a lifelong journey. The steps to that are on the back of your note guide, but there's a prayer and I actually wanna pray that prayer out loud today because I realize some of you are feeling God prompt and stir you to fall on Jesus and to receive him today. And I wanna pray this prayer. I wanna read this out loud, invite you to pray it silently along with me. And maybe for some of you, this is an opportunity to reaffirm a decision that you have long gone past. And you have an opportunity to reaffirm that commitment. But if you're someone who's a faithful servant and you're walking and you're ready, and you're, then I want you to be praying for the folks that are praying this prayer with me. So let's do this now. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I trust and follow you as my Lord and savior. Guide my life and help me to do your will. In your name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, then you have fallen on Jesus and you have received him and you now have new life. The junk of your past, the, the brokenness before, God has washed you clean of that and he's positioned you to re, to be rebuilt, to made new as new creatures in Christ. And I celebrate it and we wanna celebrate it with you. So let us know if you made that decision, fill out a, a, a communication card or or just tell a staff member somebody, we wanna celebrate with you and keep you moving in that journey. At the same time, you're now positioned to step into the communion moment and, and as a direct expression of receiving him, partake of that. So let's step into that reality or even now, because on the night that Jesus was hanging with his disciples, the night he was betrayed, they're hanging at the dinner and he, and he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Then he took the cup and he said, look, this is, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And, and with, the, with the, the body and the blood reality, these symbols, he invited them and us to remember. It's, it's an opportunity for us to acknowledge that, that he lived and died and rose again that through him we have forgiveness, that when we receive him, we have relationship with Jesus, with God through Jesus. And so we have an opportunity through communion to remember that. It's a corporate moment, but it's also an individual moment. And I wanna invite all of you who know him as Savior and Lord in the various stages of that journey to take part in this today. in, in a few moments across our, our network, uh, plates are gonna be passed across the, the aisles. And, and what I want you to do is to reach into that space and, and grab both cups. It's a double stack cup. One contains the representation of the blood, and the other, the broken body. Make sure you get both of those. But then I invite you just to hold those and begin a conversation with God, where you're talking to Him about what you've done with the Son, about where you're at in falling on Jesus, maybe even acknowledging that you've been under, and you need to, and you want to make that right. But whenever you're ready, because we're not going to take these elements together, I want you to take them on your own when you're ready. When you're ready, take. Take that bread and take that cup and remember what Jesus did. So we're gonna take it on your own. Those things are gonna be passed. Make sure you get double cups. If you need gluten-free, that's in the back at your campus expression. You can go ahead and and secure that and and take those elements during this time. But I'm gonna take a moment for us to pray. And then as we do, we're step back into worship. And as the elements are passed, you have opportunity to take those and talk with God. When you're ready, you take those. And then we're gonna continue on in worship as we have this moment to reflect on what we're doing with the sun, Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you of your, for your faithful pursuit of us Lord, I thank you that you're not deterred by moments of rebellion. Your love overcomes. And yes, we're accountable for those things, but through Jesus, we can find grace and forgiveness. And I thank you for the Son. I thank you, Father, for creating a pathway to you through him. And I I pray you would forgive us, Father, where we've just believed in as in about. Forgive us, Father, where we've rejected authority. Forgive us where we've done our own thing. We've gone our own way. We didn't think it through. But Lord, even now, I pray that you would help us to fall on Jesus. That we would receive all that he is. Not just know about him, but actually receive all that he is. His purpose, his plan, his power, even his sacrifice, maybe even suffering. But Lord, we do that for your glory. We do that for your purpose in our life. So, in these moments, as we take the bread and the cup, may you speak. May your broken body and shed blood remind us of the grace and love that we have. And may you be worshipped in this time as we worship in song and in sacrament. I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.